We're reading today from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself to re for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous of good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you so much that we have the freedom to gather and we ask that you would uh, burn these words in our heart and prepare our hearts uh, for the message that Robert will bring. We ask that uh, indeed we will learn a little bit better how to serve you and how to walk and serve others in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, man. No problem. I like how I get to carry the much lighter uh, equipment up here on stage. Thanks for helping me out. You're, you're a good man. So uh, like he said, my name's Robert, and, uh, and I'm one of those very rare Arizona natives. Uh, was born and raised here, grew up in uh, Chandler, Mesa area. And, uh, and as you guys saw, a picture of my family. So just real quick, uh, the oldest one, which is over there, that's Gabriel. Uh, he is, I always got to think about this. Eight years old, okay. Uh, that's Emma, she is five, and then that's Corbin, who is seven. So those are our three kids. I met my wife uh, through the church. I was, uh, I was teaching at a church as the youth minister, and uh, I would go to this church that had like a college ministry, like a thriving college ministry in the afternoons, because I was teaching one service to students, and I thought it would be great to like sing with other adults, you know, and like interact with people that uh, were older. And so since I was at that church plan, I would go and I would do that uh, at this young adult ministry. And I met my wife on a mission trip to Africa, which is pretty cool. We got seated next to each other on an airplane and, uh, and we were flying to Africa and I didn't really know her before this trip. And because we were seated next to each other, if ever you've traveled internationally, uh, they're really long flights, right? And, uh, and you can only do small talk for so long when you're on like a 12-hour flight. And so after about the first hour, you get past the like, oh, so what's your favorite color? You know, and you start getting to know that person a little bit better. And so I started to get to know her, and I was like, huh, I think I might like this girl. And then we got to Africa, and we started uh, serving there. And, and we were in a country where uh, men and women were separated uh, most of the time. So I didn't really see her, but I kind of noticed her at a distance, if that makes sense. And there was one day we did a project with kindergartners at this school. And so we were playing with kids. And I'm like, man, this girl's really good with kids. And all of a sudden, she just kept becoming more and more attractive, you know, as the trip went on. And we get in the airplane to fly home after we spent, you know, uh, two, three weeks in Africa. And I'm sitting next to her, and, uh, and at this point, I'm like smitten with her, right? And, uh, and so I'm like, man, this girl's incredible. And so we're sitting next to each other, and I'm talking, and I use this line somewhere, this is probably somewhere over Chicago, I'm pretty jet-lagged, we're on our way into Phoenix, uh, you know, up in the air, and I go, listen, I have the answer to all of your problems. <laughs> I literally said those words, because guys, you know, we're just diagnosing the whole time that they're talking, you know, we're like, oh, let me solve this for you, right? And, and so I found the solution to all of her problems, and I was about to share my wisdom with her, and I was like, man, you're so lucky I'm here. Uh, so I said, I have the answer to all of your problems, and she kind of looks at me, and she goes, well, what's that? And I said, I think you and I just need to fall madly in love with each other. 
No joke, I use that line. Guys don't ever use that line because that is a really creepy line. Uh, and in fact, she'll tell you, she's like, yeah, that really weirded me out. Um, but I like to remind her of that moment often and say, hey, thanks for listening, you know, and paying attention. So we got married, we had a, a bunch of kids, and right now we're in the process of going through the foster care uh, uh, licensing and all of that. And so we're hoping to continue to add to the family uh, in seasons as we work with these kids and get them back, hopefully, into their biological homes. But uh, that's kind of me, and that's kind of the season that we're in. I've been at Sun Valley for just over 12 years. Uh, been working with student ministries, young adults for a lot of that. Um, and in the last couple years, I've been working as the teaching pastor at Sun Valley with Chad. And so he and I share uh, preaching on the weekend. But I'm so excited to be here with you guys. And I I just want to, uh, up front, I want to celebrate uh, Tim, the fact that he, because uh, being a, a, a church planter, being a, a pastor, uh, you want to be here on Sundays, right? Uh, it, it's a big deal, and just take my word for it, you want to be a part of this moment that we're experiencing right now, yet he's choosing to put his marriage first uh, and celebrate his 10 years, and I think that's worth celebrating, if you guys would celebrate that. I love that he's not just leading with his words, he's leading with his actions, and so excited for him to have a break this weekend and, and to be here with you guys. Uh, if you weren't here last week, Tim was talking through chapter two of Titus. Uh, if you weren't here, you can go online and listen to it. I went online and listened to it. He did a phenomenal job, and I'm going to pick up right where he left off, but last week he was talking about uh, just some real practical applications for the church, real practical ways that we can take what God has done in our life and we can demonstrate it through our actions. The motto here at this church is that love moves, that love Love is action-oriented, and Jesus says that the church is to be known for its love. And so that doesn't mean that it's meant to be known for what we define as love, which is this emotional kind of ooey-gooey feeling thing. Like the church isn't supposed to be known because we have these deep feelings that we never express. We just feel them, right? Like, oh, I really like people. You know, oh, man, you must be a follower of Jesus. No, uh, love is meant to be action-oriented. True love is action-oriented. It's not an emotion. Uh, in fact, many times, love is in spite of our emotions. And I'm just going to give you one quick example of that. Jesus, before he goes to the cross, is in a garden praying to God, going, okay, if there's any way for this to happen other than what, God, we're about to do here, me going to the cross, if there's any other way, let's do that. What Jesus is feeling in that moment is this emotion of, man, I don't feel like going to the cross today, right? The emotions where I don't feel like doing that, yet Jesus chooses to love anyway. And he says, but not my will, your will be done. And then Jesus goes to the cross voluntarily. Because love is action-oriented. It has nothing to do with feelings. And so love moves. And last week we looked at all these different ways that we can put love into action, that we can truly love people around us. So today we pick up, and we're going to wrap up chapter 2 of Titus. And here's what he says. So he's going to give kind of the why behind all of this. So he's given a whole bunch of what. Do this, don't do this, do this. Now he's going to give the why behind. Verse 11, he says, For the grace of God has appeared. He says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Uh, the bedrock of our faith, man, that is heavy. Thanks, man, for moving that for me. The bedrock of our faith is grace. Uh, grace is what sets apart Christianity from every other faith on the planet. And when we talk about grace, we're talking about the gospel. Now, the word gospel itself means good news. It's news, and every other faith on the planet is wrapped around this word. You ready? It's advice. So what every faith on the planet is trying to do is understand. So we understand that if this is us and this is God, we've been separated 
because of our sin. We understand that there's a huge gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness. And so every other faith on the planet is advice. It's here's all the things that you and I must do to work our way to God. Here's all the hoops you got to jump through. Here's all the things you got to say, you got to do, you got to dress a certain way, act a certain way. Every faith on the planet is going, no, here's the things that you got to do. And different faiths will go, no, it's something different. You don't do this. You got you to do this, you know, and it's all advice on what you and I must do to work our way to God. The gospel is completely different. Unlike every other faith on the planet, here's what the gospel says. The gospel says that you and I can't work our way to God. That there's nothing you and I can do to earn our way. In fact, if we were to evaluate our behavior and the things that we're trying to do, we are failing over and over and over again. But the gospel, it's not advice. The gospel is news. Literally, it means good news. And here's the news, that when you and I couldn't work our way to God, God, in his love, in his grace, and in his mercy, worked his way to us in and through the person of Jesus. This is the most freeing truth in all of the planet. It's not about what you and I do. It's about what Jesus has done, that God has worked his way to us when we couldn't work our way to him. And so Titus is saying, hey, or Paul is saying to Titus in all of this passage here, he's going, okay, all of this is because grace has come. Because of what God has done, that's why we want to now behave, and it's not to earn our way to God. See, grace is opposed to earning. You cannot earn it, but it's not opposed to effort. And here's why I think you and I have a tough time with, with grace. I struggle with this all the time. I begin to drift back to, oh, maybe I could earn it a little bit, right? You know, like, maybe God, you get here, and then I'll just kind of meet you, you know, halfway. And I, I feel like I, I need to do something. I need to perform because you and I, in our human way of thinking, we think this is how love and acceptance are created, is by our performance, See, in everything in our life, we've been trained to believe that the way people love us, the way people accept us, has to do with this kind of invisible filter. And this filter is based on one simple word, and that's do. And so just to give you kind of an example here, as I hold this up, uh, you guys are filtering me through what I do. And we learn like in elementary school and based on our academics and in sports and compared to our siblings and all of that, the way we're loved, the way we're accepted, it's about what we do. And so it's filtered through all of those things, right? And here, I'll, I'll prove it to you. So you guys right now, you're still trying to decide, do I like this guy? Do I trust this guy? Like this isn't Tim. I don't know who this guy is. And so you're going to be listening for what I say. You're going to be listening. Okay, what? Okay, he's got some kids, you know, and he seems like they're happy, you know, but that's a picture. They could be faking it, you know. And he mentioned that foster care thing, so he must be kind of cool, you know. He's kind of helping out in the social thing. So, so maybe I like him, but you're trying to filter whether or not you're going to love and accept me through my behavior. And here, I'll prove it to you. If I were to leave here right now, just walk off stage and go and steal your car and drive off, you probably would be pretty upset with me, right? And, and the way that you view me would instantly change based on my behaviors. And so we understand the way that we give love and the way that we receive love is through behaviors. For some of us, we've never received love, experienced love in our life that wasn't based on our behavior. We've never experienced love that wasn't based on our performance on what we do. And here's the problem with that. We think that's how God loves us. We think that when God looks at us, he's holding up this big filter and going, hmm, how much am I going to love you? How much am I going to accept you based on your performance? And if we're honest, we realize that we make all kinds of mistakes, right? And so there's like this big smudge on this filter. And, and if we're really honest, when we think about, imagine right now if we had a recording 
of everything that you've ever said. And, and we could take all the things that you've ever said and we could just put them on display and go, oh yeah, that's pretty bad. And we think, well, well, God must be filtering that. Well, it's not just the things that I say. What about the things that I do? And man, I've done some messed up things and I, I think back on all of that and I go, man, this filter, it's full of things, but it's not just that. What about, what about the things that I don't do? What about the things that I know God wants me to do, but I, I, I don't do those things, and so I know that that's adding up on here as well. And, and, and what about the things that nobody else knows about, but God knows? What about those things that are in my mind, the thoughts that go into my mind, the things that I think about, and if we're honest, we go, you know what, this thing's pretty caked. This thing's pretty caked. This filter's full of all kinds of things that I've done that have messed up. We go, well, well God must be filtering his love through my performance, through what I do. But what if God's love is different than our love? What if God's love isn't just different than our love, it's better than our love? See, you might not have ever thought about this, but if you were really honest with yourself, you probably have evaluated how God loves you based on this filter. And if that's true, I want to ask you this question, who does God love more, me or you? Don't have to answer it out loud. Who does God love more? Now, and now before you come to a conclusion in your mind, I, I want to remind you of a couple things. Uh, I'm a pastor, okay? Uh, I mean, I, uh, I'm a pastor, and you're like, you're going to go toe-to-toe with a pastor? I mean, I mean, come on, really? And you guys are going, well, Robert, you're pretty arrogant, obviously, by the way you're talking. Okay, so forgive me. Who would God love more, you or Pastor Tim? I mean, I've hung out with that guy. That dude's godly, right? You know, he's sacrificing and, and serving and all of that. I go, man, it's pretty good. Maybe God loves him more. Who does God love more, you or, or Mother Teresa? I mean, come on, Mother Teresa, seriously? If you had to hesitate and think, well, maybe, I don't Okay, here's the deal. If that's how God loves, here's who God loves more, whoever's the youngest, Whoever's the youngest. And, and so I'm 34 years old. Listen, when I was 10 years old, I had 10 years worth of sin and poor behavior caked onto this thing. Now I'm 34. I have 34 years of sin caked onto this filter. Some of you guys, you're like retirement age, right? I mean, I couldn't even, uh, if I had to try and lift this thing up, I mean, it's so, I can't imagine how much sin you got caked on this thing, right? If that's how God loves us, then it's probably based on our age. But here's the beautiful thing. When God looked at us, when he looked at this filter, he went, man, you are all hopeless. Every single one of you. You are all hopeless. If this is the standard, if this is what it's based on, you are all hopeless. And so here's what he did. He got rid of the filter for us. When Jesus came to this earth, when Jesus went to the cross, he paid the penalty for everything that's caked on that filter. Everything that's been caked on there, everything that's being caked on there, everything that will be caked on there, Jesus said, I'm going to pay the penalty for that so we can just remove the filter and God can just love us freely just as we are, not as we should be. It's called grace. And this is what sets apart Christianity from every other faith on the planet. Listen, God loves you. He loves you. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you any more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. His love is different than our love. There is no filter. He loves us, the word is unconditionally. The Greek word that's used to describe God's love is agape. 
It's different than our natural kinds of love. It is a heavenly, divine love, and it's better than ours, and it's full of grace. God loves you just as you are, not as you should be. And while we try and revolve love around this little word do, he revolves it around this word done. See, I mentioned earlier that love is action-oriented. And so if you wonder, well, how can Robert stand up there and say that God loves me with so much confidence? How can he say that so definitively? Because it's not about an emotion, it's about action. And here's the action of God's love. It's Jesus going to the cross for you. That Jesus would give his very life for you. That's how I know that God loves you. And no matter what you do, that doesn't change the fact that Jesus has gone to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin if you would simply put your trust in him. That's the hope that we have, that God loves us. He's proven it by his actions. And Paul's going, listen, all these practical things I'm giving you in Titus, all these different things I'm saying, hey, do this. Hey, if you're in this situation, do this. Hey, older men, invest into the younger men. Older women, invest into the younger women and make sure that you're behaving in such a way. He's doing all of that because he says, understand that God already loves you. He's already proven it to you. Now our job is to respond to God's love. See, where we get messed up is when we think that grace comes after our behavior, If I can just work hard enough, if I can earn it, then I'll receive God's grace. No, grace comes first. And everything else we do in the Christian life is in response to grace, in response to what God has already done for us. He loves first, and we love in response. We're going to get through this passage, I promise. We're only on the first verse. Okay. So here he talks about love. He talks about grace. Uh, there's three major stages to our, our salvation. I want It's all in, in this passage, so I just want to talk about this and maybe help us with something we tend to get confused about. There's three stages of our salvation. The first is when we first put our faith in Jesus. It's called justification. And justification is being declared right with God through faith in Jesus. It's a legal standing. When God looks at us, he says not guilty. In Romans 8, it says that Jesus, and we just sang about it, that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Jesus is the great defense attorney. And so when Satan, who's the accuser of the brethren, as he's talked about in scripture, when Satan stands forward and he goes, okay, God, listen, your honor, I want to just list a couple things here. Uh, Anger, lust, envy, binge-watching Netflix. These are all things just this morning that this person's done. And he stands there with accusation after accusation after accusation. And the picture in Scripture of what Jesus is doing on our behalf right now is that he's the great defense attorney. That once Satan's done with all these accusations, well, look at these things and look at all the things on the filter. Jesus steps up as our great defender and he says, Your Honor, uh, exhibit A, the cross. I paid for that. The debt has been paid in full. Next case, you want Jesus as your defender. And listen, that happens by putting your trust in him. God is pouring out his love on you through the person of Jesus, and and you cannot separate God's love from the person of Jesus. That's where we get in trouble. We go, well, I don't know about Jesus, but I'm all about God's love, right? Like God is a loving God. He's a caring God. And and, and we tend to cling to that, and we want to separate Jesus from that. Jesus is God's love manifested in the flesh. You cannot separate those two things. To reject Jesus is to reject God's love. God's saying, I am pouring out my love on you. I've done it through Jesus. And our job is to trust and to put our faith in what Jesus has done to pay the penalty for our sin. That's what it means to receive God's love as opposed to rejecting God's love. To reject Jesus is to reject the love of God. 
Because love is action-oriented. Love moves. And if you want to see what God's love looks like, you look at the cross. I said we were going to get through this passage. I promise we will. Okay, verse 12. Then he says, training us. So he talked about God's grace. He's talking about uh, God's, God's love here. He says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Grace compels us to move is what he says. Grace compels us to move. Some people think, well, God's gracious, right? God forgives sin, so I'm just going to go out and keep on sinning and I'll do my part and God will do his part, right? I could just go nuts. And if that's your mentality, then you don't understand grace and you don't understand what God has really done for you. It would be equivalent to imagine, I don't know how many of you in here are married, but I married my wife. We've been married for 11 years. My, my dates are always tough. That's why I have to pause for a second. 11 years we've been married for, and we got married in Chandler, Arizona, and I remember we were standing across from each other, and she began to read her vows to me. And a wedding ceremony, it really is all about those vows. Everything else is just kind of fluff around the ceremony, Right? Uh, the core of what a ceremony is, it's making that promise to one another. And so she stood before me, and she made a promise to love me, to care for me, to choose to love me each day, regardless of circumstances, if we were rich, if we were poor, if we were sick, if we were healthy, no matter what happened, and that, that she would be faithful to choose to love me. And I could have at that moment been like, well, that's awesome. I'm going to go out and do whatever I want then, and I'm just going to go crazy because you made this promise to me, right? That would be a terrible response, and then you guys would filter me through that, and you'd be like, Robert's a terrible person, right? So why would we do that with God? Yeah, God has shown us grace, but what do you do with grace? You cherish it. It's a wonderful gift. You don't abuse it. When the God of the universe who spoke the universe into existence says, I love you, I'm crazy about you, just as you are, not as you should be, and I'm going to offer you forgiveness. And forgiveness doesn't come for free, by the way. It came at an incredible cost, just not to us. He paid it for us. So our response should be, God, thank you. I owe you my life, literally, for all eternity. Thank you. I'm going to choose to love, and love moves. I'm going to choose to respond to the love that you've given me. And here's what that's called. In our process of, of salvation, there's these three stages of it. And, and by the way, when we're justified, that is done, that is sealed. I recommend reading Romans 8 to you, uh, that, that you would read Romans 8, because in there it talks about how that is sealed and we are predestined for God to finish what he has started. So we're justified. By the way, we're also adopted into God's family. That happens at the point of justification when we put our trust in Jesus. The next stage here is sanctification. And sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And this is a work of us working with the Holy Spirit. That God is working in us and he's transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about that this grace, it's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. He's talking about sanctification. This process where we go, God, I'm going to trust you. And then as we kind of step out in faith, we go, God, I'm going to trust you. You say that I'm supposed to do this. When it comes to my marriage, you say I'm supposed to do this. When it comes to my singleness, when it comes to how I interact with others, how I treat other people, and we've looked at a bunch of, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you, God. And when we do that, we go, wow, this was scary, but I look and I see what God was doing now. And it changes us and it transforms us. And throughout time, as we look back on our lives, and maybe we can't see it in the moment, but if you look back on your life, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, you can look back and you go, man, he's changed me a ton. 
When I think back to where I was 10 years ago, I go, man, I'm a totally different person. And it's not because I'm a great person. It's because the Holy Spirit has been transforming me and changing my attitude and my thoughts and my behaviors little by little over time. The process is called sanctification. And then he says, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, we're doing these things. We're growing more and more in Christ-likeness. Uh, and by the way, the reason we're growing more and more in Christ-likeness is because we've been adopted into the family. And when we're adopted into the family, we join the family business. And here's what the family business is. It's helping people to understand the good news, the gospel, that God has worked his way to us. We represent that news. We represent that gospel. And so the reason we, he says, you know, and all throughout Scripture, you see these things like, hey, here's how you should treat your wives, and here's how you should uh, treat people who are outside of the faith, and why there's all these things in there, and you go, well, is that just earning? No, that's in response. And the reason we do that threefold, uh, the reason we do what Scripture teaches us as followers of Jesus, the reason we take these steps and go, I don't really want to do that, but I'm going to trust you, is one, because it's actually good for us. That when we do the things that Jesus says, the way that he says, when we treat our dating relationships the way that, that Scripture teaches us, uh, you'll, you'll actually go, man, I don't want to do it this way. This isn't how the world does it. This isn't how I want to do it. Jesus, I'm going to trust you with it. But you will look back and you'll go, I'm so glad that I did. Man, that saved me from all kinds of issues, all kinds of trouble, simply by trusting and doing what he said, even though I didn't feel like it. And you'll realize that what God is training us in is actually good for us. That he created us, he loves us, and he wants what's best for us. God's not out to get you or to make your life boring or to ruin all of your fun. He's not this great cosmic killjoy. He wants you to live life abundantly to the fullest the way you were created. And when we trust him, we experience that. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is that when we trust God, when we take steps of obedience, it's not just good for us, it's good for those around us. If you're going to apply the things that Scripture teaches you about marriage, it's going to be really good for your spouse. I promise you that. If you take the things and you apply it to how you're going to treat people who are outside of the faith and people who are struggling inside of the faith, you are going to help them immensely grow in their faith in Jesus. So it's good for us. It's good for others. And listen, it also glorifies God. We are representatives of Jesus and the gospel. And so if I were to go out and I were to go steal cars out of the parking lot and I were to do all of those things, uh, it, the church eventually is going to become really unattractive, right? Right? And it's not that I'm trying to trick people or go, no, no, this thing's really good. I'm just going to act like it. No, if I truly trust Jesus and I begin to see this transformation happen in my life and trust him in these areas, it's actually going to draw other people in because they're going to go, man, there's something about this person that's different. The way that they love people who don't deserve love, the way that they forgive people who have wronged them, that's just weird and beautiful all at the same time. So the reason we trust Jesus in every area of our life, the reason we're constantly going, man, I, I want to grow in this area. I know that this is a struggle, and I want to I allow the Holy Spirit to come in and transform my life in this area is because it's good for us, it's good for others, and it's good for the sharing of the gospel. And then he says, now we're waiting for our blessed hope. We're doing all of this as we wait because this isn't the end. This life is just the beginning. That we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. My favorite passage in all of Scripture is Revelation 21. And this is where it's revealed to John what's to come. Beyond this life, beyond just what we can see right in front of us, beyond that veil, what's beyond that in eternity? And here's what he says, verse 3. 
It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and this is what's to come. It says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus says, This will happen. This is our blessed hope. This is what we're waiting for, longing for, and why we gotta understand, guys, there is an eternity and everybody spends eternity somewhere, and that eternity for those who put their trust in Jesus is beautiful and glorious, and we have a responsibility as those who have received God's grace by putting our trust in Jesus that we would share that good news with others. And listen, the gospel, that, that's our product, okay? The gospel is what God has given us now to go share with the world, and our delivery mechanism is good works, It's not that we are earning the gospel by our good works. No, the gospel is what God has already given. It's a gift that you and I don't deserve. Neither does anybody else in this world. We just read earlier, it's for all people. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what's been done to them, the gospel is for them. And our delivery mechanism is good works. Until that day comes, and this is the final stage for us, of glorification. Glorification is what happens on the other side of death, and that's where God will finish what he has started that we will be conformed into the image of Jesus, it is guaranteed, it says in Romans chapter eight. God's gonna finish the work that he started in those who have put their trust in him. And guys, at that point, we're not gonna be able to share our faith anymore. There's gonna be no sharing the gospel with people at that point. That happens here in this stage of salvation. And so when you think about justification, sanctification, glorification, you can honestly say as a believer in Jesus, I've been saved. You can also say, I am being saved. And you can also say, I will be saved. And all three statements are true. As he's transforming us and one day he'll complete that. But in this life, guys, this is our opportunity to let love move through us and to impact the world around us with this beautiful, great, amazing news of the gospel. Verse 14, he says, talking about Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That is the delivery mechanism. And that phrase when he says, uh, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, what Paul is doing here is he's actually, so the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek at this time, and he's quoting Psalm 130, as it had been translated into Greek. And he's using this phrase, and here's how Psalm 130 goes, and and it's that last sentence in Psalm 130. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, that's another word for sins, if you should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? That God, if you were using the filter, God, who could stand up to that filter? If you were evaluating us based on what we do, who could possibly, in light of God's holiness, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. 
I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And Paul writes that into here when he says to redeem us from all lawlessness. He's going, listen, God's the one who's going to rescue us. Jesus is the Savior. We are putting our hope and our trust in what he's going to do for us. And that's what causes us, what compels us to move in light of his grace and his promises, this hope that we have. And then verse 15, as Paul's writing this to this pastor In Crete, he says, declare these things. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. He goes, okay, Titus, listen. People, they're going to try and mess this whole gospel thing up. They're going to try and add some other things to it. They're going to try and teach some other things. And there's this group that's going around saying, well, you got to be circumcised. And guys are going, man, i got to have an operation to join this thing. Like, I don't know. You know, he's going, don't let anybody come mess this thing up. Don't let anybody try and teach anything other than the gospel of grace. He says, listen, this is what it's about, that God is rescuing us, and we trust him. He says, preach these things. Don't let anybody stop you. With all authority, with all confidence, present the gospel boldly. Guys, God loves you. For some of you, those are the three words you needed to hear today. God loves you. He's proven it. He's demonstrated it. Let that truth wash over you today. Don't reject it. Receive it. There's nothing more overwhelming or freeing than this truth. I took my kids up north a few weeks ago get out of the heat, you know. My dad's got a cabin up there, and when you go up north, there's this crazy thing that happens. You look up in the sky at night, and there's stars up there. It's very different than being in Phoenix, right? You see all these stars, and so I'm out there, and I'm like, man, this is incredible. This is beautiful. And so uh, my dad at his cabin, he's got this, this deck, and it's kind of this like observation deck thing. And, and so we go out there, and you can see, you know, 360 degrees around, and it's just beautiful at night. And you can even see what looks like a cloud going across. That's our Milky Way galaxy. And, and you just sit there and you're just in awe. And my dad had this little telescope, so I pull out this telescope. And I begin to look around and I, I find Mars. And I'm looking at Mars. I'm going, man, this is amazing. It's just a little tiny red dot. I'm like, man, it's beautiful. And then I find Saturn. And I, I point this telescope at Saturn. And, and I'm looking. I get it just in focus. And I can see the rings going around Saturn, and I'm telling you, I just like lost my mind. I'm like, this is amazing. You know, I'm like, Lindsay, get over here. And so I bring Lindsay over there, and she looks at it, and she's like, meh, you know. She was not nearly as impressed as I was, but I wasn't done yet. I'll impress her. And so then I find Jupiter, and I get Jupiter in the telescope, and as I'm looking at it, I'm like, man, those, those, are those stars? No. I can see the moons around Jupiter, and I can see these tiny little lines, you know, over the little, like, strata, the little, like, red lines going across. I'm like, okay. And so I get Lindsay. I show it to her, and she's kind of like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, and that's all I got out of her. But I'm like, this is amazing. And I was sitting there looking up at the stars, and I began to think about our God who spoke all that into existence. And then I was reminded of something that I had seen from another pastor years and years and years ago. 
I wanted to share this with you. This is a, this is a video. This is just a, a, a rendering from our earth. And if we were here on our earth and, and, and this video is we kind of just elevate as we take off uh, from the earth. So this is what it would look like in northern Arizona. But as we take off and as we kind of rise up and we get above the atmosphere, we get a perspective now. This is the earth that you and I live in. This is where we all are right now. But our earth, it's surrounded by other planets, and we're a part of this system that's spinning around. So as that continues to come out, you'll see here in just a second, that was the moon that flew by. There's Mars kind of going by. That's our star. We call it the sun. But the star's not all alone. The star is surrounded by uh, 100,000 other stars in this really compact grouping of stars. And so as we zoom out from our star and and these other stars, you kind of see them kind of collapsing in as we get further and further away, uh, you wouldn't be able to find our sun in that cluster. And scientists estimate that we have somewhere between 100 and 400 billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy. And so that's our Milky Way galaxy there. It's shaped kind of like a pancake. And, and if you were to look, if I were to have it, it's like a pancake with kind of this bulge in the middle. It's a spiral galaxy, 100 to 400 billion stars. Now, the size of that Milky Way galaxy, we can't measure it in miles. We have to measure it in light years. Now, a light year is traveling at the speed of light. Speed of light is approximately 186,000 miles per second. So if you and I were somehow traveling at the speed of light right now, uh, we would go completely around the earth seven and a half times in one second. It's pretty fast, right? And light years are, if you were traveling at 186,000 miles per second for an entire year, that distance that you travel would be called one light year. So if we were to start at one end of that Milky Way galaxy and travel to the other end of that Milky Way galaxy, it would take us 100,000 years to get from one side to the other. If you were to have kind of a model of the Milky Way, you couldn't dissect it small enough to find our earth buried inside of it. This is what God spoke into existence. And as scientists studied the Milky Way galaxy and these surrounding stars and all of that, they began to notice that there's other galaxies out there. And the Hubble Space Telescope, they decided as they're taking pictures of all these incredible galaxies and nebula and things within our Milky Way and all of that, they said, hey, there's this dark spot over there. Let's just point the camera at that. Let's just open up the aperture and let it just sit there for like 10 days and see if we can find anything. It's called the Hubble Deep Field. And so they, they did that and they found in that picture, they, they get this picture and it was just exploding with galaxies. Thousands of galaxies in this tiny little dark spot. And so they decided, let's go to the ultra deep field and let's find an even darker spot way in the corner. And they did that and guess what they found? Thousands of galaxies. And then they go, well, let's go to the extreme deep field, because they ran out of cool, you know, names. They call it extreme, you know, extreme deep field. And they found thousands of galaxies. As we zoom out here, as we go on to the next video, and we zoom out from our Milky Way galaxy, these are all of the galaxies that have a name, have a number that scientists have discovered. And in our known universe, these are all, it's just, those are galaxies like ours, some much larger, and clusters of galaxies that you're seeing And these are the ones that we've discovered. They estimate there's approximately 350 billion other galaxies in our known universe. Think about that for a moment. Psalm 19, verse 1. says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. 
Psalm 8.1 says that, that God has set his glory above the heavens, and yet in our tiny little Milky Way galaxy, in our tiny little cluster of stars, in our tiny little solar system, somewhere buried in the middle of that where you and I would never find it, is this tiny little planet that's revolving around this tiny little sun called the earth, and here we are, tiny little people on it, thinking, oh, I'm such a big deal, right? And here we are, these tiny little people on it, and yet God, who spoke everything into existence says that he loves you. He's crazy about you. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He loves you, and he loves you so much that he's demonstrated it for you, paying the price for your sin and my sin on the cross so that you and I might have this hope of eternity with him in heaven. This is a beautiful thing, guys. This is called the gospel, and I want you to just, I want you to soak in God's love for you today. And there's no way, I mean, God's love, it's like this huge ocean, and we got these tiny you know, little thimble brains trying to just soak that in, but I, I want us to try and soak it in a little bit that God loves us, and everything that we do is a response to that incredible love. The God who spoke the universe into existence loves you and loves me. Let's respond to that with good works to love people so that they would know that we're followers of this incredible God and this incredible love and that we would share it with others, the good news that they don't have to earn their way to heaven. They don't have to earn their way to God. They simply receive the good news that Jesus has worked his way to us. Let's be a church that is all about grace that is all about letting love move in us and as well as through us as we move and love others, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what's been done to them. I'm going to ask that you would pray with me. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace. Just being reminded, God, of how much you love each one of us. It truly is unfathomable. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to grasp as best as we can in this moment your incredible love, your amazing grace. I pray that we would live lives of faith in you, that we would put our faith into action, not because we're trying to earn anything, but because we're trying to grow in what it means to be more and more like Jesus because we want to benefit those around us as we trust you and follow you and we want to make an impact in this world with the time that we have to share your grace and the good news of what Jesus has done with others. Give us courage, give us wisdom, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen.